0: Hey, good morning. So I was just thinking there as Ryan was talking, uh, we need God, but he wants us, which I love that. Uh, We need God. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He wants you and me. It's wonderful, isn't it? But I was thinking we need each other, though. And uh, I can't say how encouraged I've been over the last two or three weeks just to begin to hear more and more you guys praising and worshiping God. I think we're in week 14 now of the church, I think. And I remember the first few weeks I could only hear hear Ryan. And as beautiful as Ryan's voice is, it was encouraging. But now I'm beginning to hear you guys uh, above me. I can't sing, but I can shout really well. And I just want to encourage you and just say thank you so much. It's building me up every Sunday. I've been really encouraged. So last week we started to look at the kingdom principles. And we introduced this idea, the concept of fighting for what's in God's heart. Not living just according to rules and guidelines but find out what's in God's heart. Why did he give us the commandments? What was in his heart? Um, what's his dream? And how do we live for that? So we've been using this idea of knights, not from the perspective of warriors, knights who fight, because you can't force God's love on anyone. We can't do it through politics. We can't do it through violence. Um, but the real role of a knight was to be a role model, uh, to, to live at such a place, an inspired other people, I mentioned that uh, every year in England, people are still knighted. They're not knighted because of military action, usually. It's because of something they do for the community uh, and they inspire people. Uh, but many, many years ago, knights were given more than just a title. They were given a reward. And I mentioned that on my mother's side, uh, I'm a Munroe. Uh, from the clan, a Scottish clan. They were given uh, this castle. It's called Fowlis Castle. I've never been here. I don't own it. Just to understand. But my ancestors on my mother's side were given this for fighting the Vikings uh, by uh, Robert the Bruce many, many years ago. And uh, over these next two weeks, as we look at Seek First, we're going to look at what God's calling us to and how he loves to reward us. I don't know if you have children, but I was always, when the children were younger, looking for an excuse to bless them. So you wanted them to do something good because I loved the idea of being able to give them something for it. And I think God's like that with us. He's He's looking for us to do uh, the right thing, the godly thing, because he has these rewards. This week, we're not going to look at the rewards. We're going to look at the first part of the verse, uh, of the principle. And next week, I'm going to tell you some really cool stories and talk to you about how God rewards us. Um, But I believe Jesus had a problem and we see it with this passage of scripture uh, in Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to read this passage to you just as you think about it rather than put it on the screen. It says this, so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So just before Jesus introduces this principle, he says, don't worry about this stuff. This is what the pagans run after that. Don't worry about it, which is easier said than done, isn't it? Don't worry about these things. But then he he drops into this, this thing about the pagans. And I remember for a while, for years actually, I thought the pagans were people who, they just weren't religious, they were just very material. And actually I couldn't be more wrong what Jesus is talking about and the reason he talks about these pagans is really, really interesting. Now, um, I like a lot of British music. I do like some American bands. One of the American bands I like is a band called the Talking Heads. You ever heard of the Talking Heads? Remember their famous song, The Road to Nowhere? Maybe that? Should we all sing? No, let's not do that. But, um, did you know there is a road to nowhere and it helps us? So that Matthew 6, as we, as we look at it on the screen, says, So do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be like the pagans. So Jesus is saying to us, I don't want you to be people who ignore God and just run after material things. Or is there there a deeper message here? So there is a road to nowhere. It's in Turkey. Uh, This is it. Um, This road is 15 kilometers long and it goes practically nowhere. In other words, it doesn't go to a port, isn't, although it's not that far from the sea. doesn't go to a city. doesn't go to anywhere you would think. It's 15 kilometers long, and it has some incredible things along the way. So it has some monuments. Um, archaeologists have discovered shops, restaurants, um, restrooms, Um, Watering places, places you could get a drink, all the way along for 15 kilometers. This road was walked on a lot by a huge number of people, and yet it never went to a town, or a city, or a port. Um, It went to this place, Didyma. And Didyma was a place that the pagans went to. It was a place they went to worship. But more than that, it was a place they went to get an oracle. We'll talk about what an oracle is. Is in a moment. I want you to imagine how incredible this place was. So this was the size of it. This is an artist's impression. Um, Just so you can understand, that's the size of people at the bottom there. So I want you to imagine you live in a world where the biggest building you've ever seen is two stories high. That everyone lives in one story, maybe two stories. Ranch homes. And then suddenly you walk along this 15 kilometers road. Anticipation is building. And you suddenly get to this place, and it blows your mind. Now, one of the things you might have done on the road along the way was bought some kind of animal, like a sheep or a dove or something. And what you would do is, first of all, you would take it to this well, which is at Dinimah. You would give it to the priest, actually, and the priest would take your animal, and they would wash it, they would cleanse it, and then they would decide whether or not your sacrifice was worthy of you Asking your God a question. And uh, if, if the uh, priest decided it was, the priest would let you knock on a door and you would give your question to the oracle. Now that's strange, it gets weirder. Uh, inside uh, this building, stuff went on that's just bizarre. Um, there would be a woman and she would sit over a pit of what you might nowadays call glue, just different chemicals, and she would essentially get high. And as she got high, she would get in touch with the spirit world, and she would present your question to the spirit world, and eventually, at some point, she would get an answer, and priests would gather around, and as she spoke out the answer, the priest's job was to put it into some kind of poetic form to make it sound even more dramatic. And eventually, you would hear the oracle had been given. So the oracle was the woman, and the oracle was the message as well. So we need to imagine, you're walking along the road, and you're gonna to go to get an answer from your God. You've got 15 kilometers of this road, you get to this amazing building, you knock on the door, past stage one, you knock on the door, you give your, your uh, question, and then you wait. And you wait for different periods of time. Some people waited for a day, some people waited for a week, There are some people who waited years, literally. One king waited for an answer for over a year. Uh, His question was, I'm going to fight my enemy. Will I win or will I lose? And the oracle came back. A nation will fall. Which is not very helpful when you think about it. After a year, I'd be like, I want my pigeon back, please. (laughs) Um, these stone columns were incredible, um, so uh, there's an inscription on one of them by a stonecutter who says he was, uh, he was given two denarii a day, and it took 57 years to build one. So one man would give his entire working life to building one of these pillars. The temple took 800 years to complete. It was almost complete in the days of Jesus, very, very near completion. People were using it for a long period of time, but it wasn't completed perfectly. It was in phases. So, what's Jesus getting at when he says, do not worry and do not be like the pagans? So, the Bible's not ambiguous, is it, with its answers? But it does require the right questions. It does require the right questions. Here's the difference between a pagan and a pilgrim this is what Jesus was getting at, and it may shock you. A pagan is not someone who ignores their God. A pagan is actually someone very, very spiritual. They would walk 15 kilometers and give animals just to get one question. We've got our Bible and sometimes we don't even pray. So these guys are spiritual people. They're asking this question. If I do this, will you bless me? So for instance, I'm a carpenter. I've just inherited some land. If I go into agriculture, will the gods be pleased? Um, I've seen these two women and thinking of marrying this one, Will the gods be pleased if I marry this woman, or would the God prefer me to to marry this woman? Pagans ask the question, if I do this, will you bless me? What Jesus is about to challenge the disciples with is a different kind of question. And it's this, what are you doing, Lord, and how do I bless you? What are you doing, Lord, and how do I bless you? So here's the kingdom principle and He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Let me read you. To, uh, let me read that to you in different um, translations, just so you get the full weight of it. New Living Translation says, "But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well." The King James Version says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The NIV says this, and he will give you all you need from day to day. We'll look at that next week. If you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Now, I get to travel. So in a few weeks, I'll be traveling to Australia, New Zealand, England. Sometimes I'll be going to Bible college. And quite often, I'll ask people a question, what is the kingdom of God? It's interesting how many people don't know who love Jesus. So I'm not going to embarrass anybody here. But if I said to you, hey guys, what is the church? Most of us would go, I know that one. The church is the people of God, the people who love God, the the body of Christ. And you'd be absolutely right. What's interesting is Jesus rarely talks about the church, often talks about the kingdom, all these stories about the kingdom. When you say to a lot of Christians, what is the kingdom of God? Um, Let me think. Is it where you go when you die? Is it the church? Well, uh, it's a bit fluffy. We're not quite sure. So, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is the royalty, the rule, the realm, or the reign of God. Where Jesus becomes Lord of a person, the kingdom of God is there. That's why the kingdom of God is in you, but the kingdom of God is yet to come. It's near. But it's yet to come, because it's not a physical place, it's lordship of Christ. And Jesus says, if you seek my kingdom come on earth, and it's your primary concern in life, everything else you need will be added to you. So let me just do this little exercise. I don't think I've ever done this with you, so forgive me. But if, uh, maybe I have, so forgive me if I've done it twice. But just close your eyes for one moment, it's the best way I can describe this. I want you to picture somewhere you're really familiar with. I have a feeling I've done this before, so forgive me, but I want you to picture somewhere you're really, really familiar with. Could be your local community where you live. Could be your school or your supermarket or factory or office, somewhere you go and are known. I want you to imagine what comes to mind when you think of Jesus' command to love God and love one another displayed in that place. What would it look like? What would you see if his grace and mercy dominates that place? If everything in that place happens the way things happen in heaven, what do you see? Now, while your eyes are closed and you're imagining that, Jesus promises this. If what you see in your mind is your primary concern in life, this promise is for you. If that's what you live for. Okay. Open your eyes. That's a challenge, isn't it? That doesn't mean he doesn't want to bless us anyway. He's just saying, listen, if you seek for, don't be like the pagans who are basically saying, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do it the Christian way and make sure you're happy with what I do. That's great. That's fine. Jesus still loves us. But what he's saying is, but if you make the kingdom of God your primary concern, I'm going to take care of the rest that's an amazing challenge it's an amazing promise but it's an amazing challenge the reward we'll look at next week but let's let's understand that a little bit more so what does that actually mean because Christianity is not simply believing in Jesus it's believing in the things that Jesus believed in and Christianity is not simply having faith in Jesus it's having faith in the things that Jesus had faith in such as the kingdom promise it's not just believing it's not about just living for jesus it's about living for the things that Jesus lived for. It's imagining that world as it is the way God wants it to be and making that our primary concern in life. So the disciples um, do some strange things sometimes, but they're not as strange when you understand context. So one day the disciples go to Jesus and they say, can you teach us how to pray? Now, if you just read that in English and you don't know the background, it's that's in my mind, that's odd because... Seriously, they don't know how to pray? If that's like a pagan comes to Jesus, gets saved, and a week later says, teach me how to pray, makes sense. But these are disciples. Now, Jesus has gone to the Orthodox Triangle, the north side of the Galilee, to get the most orthodox, devout people, and he grabs hold of these disciples. They've been praying every day since they could talk. They've been watching people pray every day since they could talk. So what on earth earth are they asking Jesus to do? us how to pray, don't know, of course they know how to pray. What they're actually asking, if you look at the context, is what all disciples asked of their rabbi. So the Jews had various different prayers, and one of them is the Amada. The Amada is um, 18 benedictions. It lasts five minutes. In other words, it takes five full minutes to say it in Hebrew, if you can talk quickly in Hebrew. How many of you can talk? I can't, okay. But it takes five minutes to do that. So it, there's a lot of stuff in it. So traditionally, disciples would go to their rabbi and they would say to their rabbi, can you give me, I'm going to use an American expression, I think, the cliff notes. Does that make sense? The cheat sheet. In other words, if you boiled all this stuff down into the most important stuff, and that was the one prayer, and that's where we get the Lord's Prayer from. The Lord's Prayer, everything in the Lord's Prayer is already in the Amidah. Phrased slightly differently. What Jesus does, he takes it and says, let me show you, let me show you what this is really. Let me show you the heart behind this. And what's the first thing we pray for in the Lord's Prayer? After we've glorified him, called him holy, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus' message was about. He's recruiting us for this purpose. And the Lord's Prayer is based on this principle, seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, and so last week we began to look at this idea of line dwelling and we said that many of us as Christians we live on a line and it's about rules and we ask how far can we go um, before we get into trouble or do something wrong and what must we do in order to get a reward and the Jews called this line, this way of thinking, Halakha. Halakha means the rules or the laws of our faith. Uh, in the Bible, the cloud represents the presence of God, the heart of God, the spirit of God. We won't go into details, but if you look for the cloud and the way it represents God, you, you see that so often. In fact, uh, Ryan talks about um, how we hear the voice of God, and so often it's it's enveloped in a cloud in the Bible, and this is called Haggadah. The teaching of this is in stories because stories help us understand the spirit and the thinking and the feeling behind these things. And, and what happens sometimes is even with our even with our Seeking first, we can be line dwellers. You know, without giving, for instance. So, Link, you just pass me the, the um, fuel can. Let me just give you an example of this. So, so, sometimes we ask questions like, how much should I give? You know, some of us who are more experienced questions might ask things like, thank you, they might ask things like, well, should I tithe? And we ask, the line, and if I do tithe, should I tithe on my gross income or my net income? We ask those kind of line dwelling questions. Let me just let you know, uh, I don't know who gives or who doesn't give at Saints Church. I don't want to know. I don't want to look out and see dollar bills over people's heads. So just so you know that I don't know if you give or don't give. And that's what, not what this is about. It's about line dwelling. We've got to understand what's in the heart of God. And this is not, when we a tithe is not a tax. We're not giving to get. So why we say the fuel mission, for us, it's about this. It's about fueling God's campaign to destroy the works of the enemy. So more and more people can come under the rule, reign, and experience the love of God. So when we give, why do we give? Don't be like the pagans. Don't give in order to get a better life. Give for his dream. What you give is up to you. Uh, our very, we don't think we've ever preached on money here. It's not something we want, want to um, highlight but I do not wanna highlight the spirit behind generosity. It's not, do I tithe, do I not tithe? It's not, do I, do I give it on my um, net income or my gross income? It's asking the question, Lord, what, what's important to you? So um, uh, the book, The Kingdom Principle has a, a section in it. I'm just gonna read this section out to you. It says this, on the line thinking, waste time on whether or not to tithe It spends too much energy wondering if I should tithe on my net income or my gross income. The ancient principle instead asks, how and where do I give most to advance the kingdom of God the best? Whether or not the command is to tithe is still valid, we miss the point when we argue. God is not looking for more or less, he's looking for generosity. Giving is a particular discipline that stores up treasure in heaven And not simply for us to look forward to receiving, but as a war chest from which God funds his campaign to destroy the works of the devil. If you're passionate about his campaign, you will put it first in your budget. When it comes to their treasure, line dwellers are motivated by their questions. So here are three questions that line dwellers ask of God. Do I have to give? How much is required? And what guarantee will I get in return? Cloud dwellers, however, are moved and motivated by his questions to us. Let me suggest three of those questions. How much do you love me? How often do you dream my dream? And what price tag would you put on it? Cloud dwellers give with an understanding that what they give is not a tax to keep them safe. They're not paying the spiritual mafia. This is not protection money. You know, the kingdom of God measures generosity a different way and value a different way, the way we do. So if I said, um, um, me and Lynn were talking about somebody's posh car this morning, so that car looks nice. And if I said to you, um, what's your car valued at? You would probably tell me how much money you gave for your car. She so you would say, well, I, I paid $20,000 for this car. That's how much my car is worth. What's interesting is in the Bible... Most things, particularly when Jesus speaks, he doesn't point to what we give, he points to what we have left. So when he, it's interesting, when he points to the disciples about generosity, and he talks about the business, uh, the kind of wealthy business guy, I always think he's a business guy, but wealthy guy, and the widow, he doesn't say, she gave two pennies, so she gave the most because she gave two pennies, he said, she gave the most, and he doesn't point to what she gave, he points to what she had left. She had all, she gave all she had. So th- there's no doubt in my mind in the gospel that God wants us to prosper and do well. You'll never hear prosperity gospel from me. But 50 times in the Bible, He wants us to do well. He wants us to be a blessing. He wants us, He wants us to be role models. He wants to show how much He can bless people. There's this, this is a weird thing that goes on, but at the same time, He's looking for this generosity. And, and if we follow this principle, we can never outgive God. It's frustrating. Because you give, and then God blesses you, and it's like a little bit annoying. Well, I want you to give, Lord. Yeah, well, tough. Because <laughs> you'll never outdo me. It's about putting him first. Um, many, many years ago, um, let, let me just uh, kind of finish with a couple of illustrations. Um, there's a, a famous business guy, this is not about the gospel, the business guy who, and you probably will have heard this, who he was in a class lecture room, and he was um, talking about priorities. So he got this glass jug, I don't know if you've heard this story, he got this glass jug and he puts in a big rock. And, he said, and the rock kind of fills the jar and he says to his students, is the jug filled? And they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah it is. He goes, is it? And then he gets some pebbles and he drops the pebbles and they fill all the gaps. And he goes, is the jug filled now? And they go, oh right, yes, yes, now it's filled. Is it? And they get some sand. Uh, is the jug filled now? We think so, but we're not sure. And he puts some water in. And he says, what's the the principle, what's the point behind this illustration? Some bright spark apparently puts up his hand and says, no matter how busy you are, you can always do more things. No, that's not the point. The point is if I put the water in the sand and and the the pebbles in first, I never fit in the big rock. And the kingdom of God is to be our big rock. His dream is to be our big rock. We fit everything else around that. So, So does God want you to have a great career? Absolutely but we fit our career around him. That doesn't mean like we go to as many church meetings as we can and we only go to work when we, it just means in our heart, we're we're seeking first the kingdom of God. When we're praying about our careers, when we're praying about our families and our relationships. You know, when I I was praying about um, whether we should uh, should get married, Lynn and I, it wasn't, is she a Christian and how often does she come to church? That was not my line dwelling. My question was, does she love God and does she love the kingdom more than she loves me? Because the greatest lovers of people, are those who love God more than they love people. So, um, sometimes this can go wrong. Um, Many years ago, um, not long, I think it was before Lynn and I got married, um, but we were were dating, Um, there was a lady in our church who, she was the mother of the pastor, an elder, and the guy who led me to Jesus. She was like the Holy Spirit's fourth part, you know? (laughs) She was an amazing woman, she was lovely, really sweet lady and i came back from um this kind of train to be a missionary and god told me to go back to manchester and she came up to me one day and she said hey paul just to let you know hey paul just to let you know god's told me he's calling you to zaire in africa and i've got all the ladies and they've all agreed to pray for you and i've started looking at flights for you <laughs> but don't worry we're behind you so i'm like okay and I was really young, but by then I just got enough savvy to realize that wasn't God. So, because well, I won't go into that reason, but so I'm like, okay, I don't think that's, you know, um, pray with her, said thank you, and politely said, I think that was for me. Um, many years later, she, she passed away, and uh, I was telling that story uh, somewhere, and her um, grandson, who was a friend of mine, came up to me and said, Paul, do you, even, do you know what happened to my grandmother many, many years ago? I said, no said, so, well, many, many years ago, um, she, God called her to Zaire. And then she fell in love. And she fell in love with this guy, and he said to her, it's Zaire or me. And she chose him. Eventually, the relationship broke up, but, it, but she'd missed her opportunity in her mind. She says, every time she sees someone who she thinks God's got some hand on them, she prophesies they're going to go to Zaire. He said, it's as though she's trying to fill that gap, she had that she should have filled. That's one of the saddest stories I've ever heard. And that's what happens sometimes. It's not that we don't love God and we don't love the kingdom. It's just that we've got some other big rocks in place. And God says, if you take that out, replace it with the kingdom of God, there's lots of time and room for everything else. Put the kingdom of God, I'll take care of the rest. And next week we'll look at what that actually looks like, because it's amazing how he does it, and it's going to be quite inspirational. If this is challenging, I think next week will be inspirational. Um, let me finish with, with one um, story, just to, to try and get across what Jesus is saying to the disciples. So here's the disciples, and in some ways, the issue he's got, he wants he's recruiting them to advance the kingdom of God. He knows he's going to die on the cross. He knows they're going to take up the mantle, but in their minds, they've not got it yet. They're still thinking the way the pagans think. They're thinking... This guy's great, and he's going to be my, my ticket to a place of influence. He's going to be my ticket. I'm, I'm going to, God, God's going to appoint me some great position. So they wanted God, but they, they, they weren't seeking his dream first. So this is apparently a true story. Um, many years ago, um, there were some um, thieves who wanted to break into a jewelry store. And they'd figured out how to break into the jewelry store, they'd figured out how to take the jewelry. But they weren't going to do it because they hit a problem. And the problem was this, that some of the stuff in this particular jewelry store was very expensive and they knew they wouldn't be able to sell it or fence it, I think, Uh I the right word, afterwards. They won't have the time to sell it on. So they were going to decide not to break into the jewelry store. And so one of them had a brilliant idea. And he said, I know what we can do. So this is what they did. They broke into the store, didn't set the alarms off. They opened the glass cabinets of the most expensive jewelry, and they didn't take anything. What they did was they swapped labels. So they took things that were worth $50,000 and replaced it with things worth $500 and switched the labels back as well. Then they closed the glass cabinets, left the jewelry store, and over the next two days they went back as shoppers and they bought things for $500 they knew were worth $50,000 legally. And probably, I would surmise, laughed at people who spent $50,000 on things worth 500 Why? Because the price tag told them. That's what the devil's done. He's switched the price tags. He's even done it in church to some degree. And what's happening is we're investing so often in the wrong thing. And we're pouring our time and energy into things that the world tells us. This is really valuable. And if we open the Word of God, the Word of God will re-correct those price tags In our mind, the word of God would say, the most valuable thing on the planet is his kingdom. Knowing him, loving him, loving his dream. You do that, everything else will be taken care of. So this is a a wonderful passage of scripture. Let me read it to you one more time. Three translations and then we'll pray. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Because we already have so much added unto us. NIV, I think, is the best translation, most accurate. And he will give you all you need from day to day. and so much more, as we'll see next week. If you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern in life. My vision, my dream with Pays, is that one day every christian's primary mission in life would be to advance the kingdom of god and do it the way jesus did it that'd be amazing wouldn't it let's pray Ryan, if you can come on lord um on this beautiful january morning so many of us are so blessed already by you and yet Sometimes secretly, sometimes obviously, we all acknowledge there are many areas in our lives we still need you. And you've given us this incredible promise, Lord, you're not asking us to climb a mountain. You're not asking us to do something that we can't do. You're asking us that we would wake up in the morning and think, how can we advance your kingdom? Who can we tell about you? Out of the choices that we have in front of us, which one most advances your kingdom? Lord, we pray that we would find out more about what you're doing so we can get involved in that rather than tell you what we're doing and ask you if that's okay. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen.